Principle Matters Podcast, episode 324. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principle Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm back with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, Deputy Superintendent from Dublin City Schools in Dublin, Ohio, and the author of three great books. You can check out Jen's work at jenschwanke.com and mine at williamdparker.com if you want to check out any of my books or offerings. But welcome back, Jen. You know, we've had a long series on transitions in leadership. And so I want to set the stage for this conversation. But before I do, how are you? How's things going in Dublin, Ohio? I haven't seen you in a few weeks. So how, how, how's Jen Schwanke? Doing great. And, you know, I was thinking before uh, we recorded, I thought I, I want to make note that this is my favorite time of year, not because of the holidays and or a break coming up, but because we're immersed in the work. You know, it's um, you spend a few months uh, when a school year first starts getting into the groove. And then you spend the last few months looking ahead to the next year. And so I love right now because we're doing now and and my favorite time of year, we're, we're in it. That's such a great reminder. And I'm trying to remember who I was talking to when this thought came to me and I won't be able to reference it this quickly, but I was just having a conversation about finding the, it was probably with you, right. finding, <laughs> you know, when we did our session on joy. Yeah. That's what it was. When we right. did our session on joy, we were talking about finding your groove, finding like in the moment that you're working, sometimes even in the moment of putting out fires or something really hard of just that little glimpse. Sometimes you get of, I'm glad I can do this. Right. Or I'm, I'm glad I have the, now, now, now we don't always feel that way. There's sometimes I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting, to, I'm having to do this, but there are moments in the work where you can just kind of step back. Um, I've had the opportunity to do that recently, Jen, we did a training here in Oklahoma with some great leaders on, on how to coach leaders. And so it's a, a, a training on leadership for leaders. And man, when you walk around a room of people that are just so passionate for their, for their craft in, in, in their work, you do get a lot of joy watching people do. Things Absolutely. Like right. Well, right. this week, we're actually going to take questions from listeners. So listeners, I know we've had some feedback about transitions because that's a series that Jen and I have been doing. And Jen, you know this, but just listeners, in case you haven't gone back, to the last several episodes. If you're a regular listener, you know this. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. We, we're so glad to have you in this conversation. We hope you keep listening. And I always forget to say this, Jen, but if you're a regular listener and you've never rated this program on whatever podcast app you use, please do that because anytime you rate it, then it suddenly becomes more visible to other people. That's how algorithms work, I guess. And then if you want to like avoid the algorithm, then just tell a friend like, hey, this is a place that I'm learning. And then it just organically grows, which is the for me, the, the most fun way for this thing to grow is word of mouth. So please share with others if this is a place where you're finding valuable learning. But Jen, some of our questions have to do with transition. Some of them just have to do with leadership, but we have several. Well, actually, we have three and uh, a couple of them that I was able to share with you ahead of time. And then one that um, I added to our notes uh, before we jumped on today. But uh, Principal Manners listeners, I hope these can resonate with you. And I do not have permission from these leaders to share their names and positions because sometimes people don't want that. Um, but Jen, I'm just going to start with the first question. And this one is about a, a principal wanting to know the following. Do you have any tips on becoming well-versed and becoming knowledgeable about content areas other than your own and scheduling classroom observations? And so I wanted to start there 
with some of the, your ideas and we can both share our input, but this is a, a, a leader. Uh, and I don't know from their context, if this is a new leader or some, an aspiring leader, but someone who's just really trying to figure out how can I become more knowledgeable? Because all of us kind of feel that fear when you step into leadership of well, how do I evaluate somebody? I don't even know much about the this, this, this subject area. Well, I have thoughts. <laughs> you go first. Uh, here's what I would say is whoever asked this question, applause to you, first of all, because I think the biggest misstep a leader can make when evaluating teachers in an area in which they don't know the content is assume that they do or assume. And I hear a lot of principals say this with very good intentions. They assume good teaching is good teaching. And while I do agree with that to some extent, I think that content knowledge and expertise is a really valuable, important aspect to good teaching. And so I think it's important for principals to acknowledge, you know, I don't know the best practices in teaching this, this particular subject. Mm -hmm. So if as a principal, you were an English teacher, like I know somebody who came from that place, if you know that, then it's, I think it's a mistake to go in with the mindset. I would even, even call it arrogant that when I go observe a chemistry teacher, I'm going to know if it's good. You're going to know if the relationships are good. The rapport is good. The classroom environment and management is good, but you might, might not know if that teacher is teaching the, the uh, best and most recent information with a strong chemistry-based pedagogy. Mm -hmm. So I think asking this question is the very, very first step. And I, you know, I was there. Of course I was. I, I knew what good English teachers did, but I needed as a first step to ask questions. And I, I made it very open, you know, I, I made it clear that I did not know about the pedagogy and the content in other subject areas. I would even say, you know, I'm going to observe your classroom. You are, you know, a, a mathematics teacher, for example. There's a reason I'm not a mathematics teacher. I, I hope that you'll help me when I have a lot of questions. And then I would ask them. And, and, and what that did is when I asked questions, either during the observation or after in the post-observation, it took away any sense of fear from the teacher because I had preloaded it with an admission that I was, that I didn't know things and that I was going to ask questions. And so then they were happy to answer them rather than come from a place of defensiveness. Mm, okay. I'm going to add one thing to that thought that, and obviously we, you and I both have several things we want to say to this, Right. but um, I think the in addition to asking questions like the ones that you just listed, Jen, something else that has been helpful for me um, in practice is asking students questions too. Um, especially at the secondary level, I know this may not work at every level, but I think it could work at, um, at any level is when I'm in a classroom, even if it's a, sometimes it may be a subject area where I feel some competence and sometimes it's subject areas where I don't feel a lot of competence. Like for me, for instance, if I'm observing a science lab, sometimes I'm, I'm a little out of my element because I was a language arts teacher too. And so sometimes it's helpful for me to, to go straight to the students and ask them, what are you learning? and help me understand the concept that you're working out today in this lab. And you get a really quick understanding if, if the students know what they're doing and they can explain it to someone else, um, that there's some really great engagement and learning going on. So that's another, I think, um, additional thought I would add to ask asking good questions. Right. You, you know, one of the questions I love asking is, Hey, you had, let's go with the science lab example. You had a lab and you had all your materials set out and the students were immersed in that, this activity and it really looked fabulous. 
And what I saw was, and then you list the few things that you saw, and then you can say to the teacher, did I view this correctly? Did it go how you wanted? What, what was the outcome? And, you know, that does two things. First of all, it comes from a place of positivity. You are assuming that the teacher is a master of his or her craft. And you are hoping there that the teacher can verify that, that view. But the other thing you're doing, and this is, is where the evaluation and the observation part comes in, you're looking for intentionality. If a teacher can answer that question and say, well, here's what I intended and here's what happened. Here's what you saw. And here's the, and that's the evidence that I was reaching my, my intended goals. Then really intentionality is what we want from teachers, right? We want them to have thought about and planned for a certain outcome with the learners in their classroom. If they can't answer a question about the intentionality of their work, then, then you might have to dig a little bit deeper. And I think this applies in so many different places too, Jim, because sometimes um, I have to apply this even when I'm working with leaders, because sometimes leaders are in situations that are outside of my context, or maybe in a community I'm not familiar with, or maybe there's just something going on within the decision-making that they're involved in, where I still, I don't know all the details that they know, but there are still practices that are important things to consider um, when you're, when you're observing decision-making. And I think the same thing applies to the importance of things you can observe that are elements of good teaching. And, and it's true. You can't simply just, um, you can't simply just say good teaching is good teaching, right. but you can dissect what that really means. And you've touched on this already, that intentionality is a, is evidence of a clear focus for learning. And so making sure that there's a clear focus, does this teacher have a clear focus for the learning that's happening in this classroom? Exactly. Do I see student engagement happening here so that I recognize that students are, they're, they're connected, they're understanding, they're engaged, they're demonstrating uh, their work. Um, and then some other things that you and I know to look for too, Jen, things like, do, does this teacher understand the importance of transitions? Let's go back to that science lab. You know, you when you step into a really well-designed lab, you know whether or not there was a lot of forethought put into it and whether or not this teacher understands the importance of process and ritual and routine. Uh, otherwise, it's a disaster. Right. Um, but when it's designed well, then that teacher is transitioning. They're checking for understanding. They're reteaching things when needed. All those things that you and I both know are, are evidence of good teaching. So I think that um, the the angst that I hear in this question is someone who feels like, well, if I'm not a subject area teacher, how do I give feedback? And I think that humility, which is what you brought up on the first hand, which is going, I'm not an expert in this area. So let me learn. Um, and at the same time, recognizing, well, but I am an expert when it comes to observing student learning happening. And so give yourself permission to look for that too, because you can be, you can still examine and observe good student learning without being a subject area expert. Um, but still be learning about subjects while you're being a student yourself. Well, and you mentioned this too, Will, you said, you know, you can ask for, for, you know, students, what are you, what are you learning from this? What's your experience? And I think that's important too, to get feedback from other sources. This is where we talk about data-driven decision-making and um, looking at, are the students performing well on common assessments or on some sort of an end benchmark that we're looking for them to, to reach? And parent feedback, um, although we have to proceed with caution with parent feedback, you'll hear from parents if they feel their child is not learning. 
And, you know, you can take that as a one-off about once, (laughs) but then you need to really maybe listen if there's some concern that students aren't, aren't learning. But I think it's really important to, to, um, get various perspectives and take some time, take time. And by time, I mean, not just one 45 minute evaluation, but take time over the course of a year or two or three to really get a sense of the teacher's mastery. And then you can also challenge yourself to become a student of whatever it is you don't know. I've worked with many principals who were not, and, and to some extent still are not yet experts of a content area outside of their um, original one, but they make themselves a student of it. And they're phenomenal leaders because of that. I think of an example with me, I was, um, you know, I came from the English teaching world, but I didn't know anything about early student literacy. And when I went to the elementary world, I knew I had to figure it out. And I made myself a student. I read about it. I asked questions. I asked about all the acronyms. What did they mean? I observed, and I really tried to look at at uh, again intentionality the um processes the research that had been done about it i wanted to know and and it's important for principals to know when you do that you are really gaining respect from the people who are teaching it because although they'll always be the experts and the masters they will look at you and think wow this person really wants to know what it is that i'm doing um so so that's the thing make yourself a student there was a second part to that question that i'm not sure if i um, caught when I was reading it to you the first time, because the question was, do you have any tips on becoming well-versed and becoming knowledgeable about content areas other than my own and scheduling classroom observations? And so I, I, what I want to catching from that second part is any tips on scheduling. And I'm, I'm going to assume that's what is being asked in the second part of that question, because Jen, this comes up to me a lot too. So, and I, and I, I wasn't prepared to, to talk about this ahead of time, but I have several thoughts coming to my head. But that's something I hear consistently from leaders that I work with is how in the world do you ever get in the classrooms or how in the world do you ever finish your observations? So I have a few thoughts to add. If you want me to go first, I'm happy yeah, to, to jump ahead. on that. So anybody that's listening to this, I think um, all of us, especially if we think back to our first few years of, of principal leadership, I don't know, maybe your experience was different from mine, but I was overwhelmed. And I remember you know, we had some deadlines for first semester to be done by a certain date and by spring to have things wrapped up by a certain date. And what I ended up doing was typically running up against those deadlines and then just jamming in as much observation and scheduling as many as I could get into and just being overwhelmed for days and days and rushing through follow-ups with teachers and getting forms signed. And it was miserable because I didn't feel like any of it was being done with 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 strong fidelity. And 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 so, Moving forward, I had to make a new commitment, and that was how do I schedule the things that are important for instructional leadership in advance? How do I prioritize those things on my schedule just like I do everything else that's supposed to be a priority? I schedule all my drills, don't I? You know, I schedule all my team meetings, I schedule all my faculty meetings. So, why am I not scheduling all my observations? And evaluations so that I'm so that I call it chunking, so that I'm chunking those things in advance so that I can hopefully reach those. So I don't know if this is helpful, Jen, for everyone's practice. And you and I've talked about how everybody's not the same, but for me, it's always helpful to sit down in advance of a semester and map out how many classrooms can I try to get in each week, maybe two, maybe three, to have significant observation time. And then let those teachers know in advance, you're my person, you're my persons on 
the following dates that I'm going to try to get in to see. And I never gave them a specific day. I would just say these weeks are the weeks that I'm going to try to tag these numbers of teachers. And then as I stepped into those weeks, then I would reach out and remind them, hey, this is the week I'm going to try to connect with you and be in your classroom. Let me know if there's a a, a great time or, or something that you're doing with, that I don't need to be observing. And we would work around it till we figured out when I could land there. But having those as my big rocks going into the, each week, everything else that had to be managed could be managed around that. So that that instructional time became something that just stayed on my calendar. And if something crazy happened and I had to reschedule, I knew who I needed to reschedule with because it was already decided months before that week started. Well, and this is why it's good. You and I do this work together. Will, because Uh I had a different approach and it's what, what we're both saying here, listeners is you have to know yourself. I'm someone that I will procrastinate unless it's, it's on my calendar. And if it's on my calendar, I'll do it. And so I would set them up. I would tell the teachers, I will be there from 10 five to 10 45 on Tuesday, December 18th, say, mm-hmm. um, and I would stick to it because it was on my calendar. That's just who I am. Yeah. And what, what it helped with is I did not break those appointments ever unless we went into lockdown. Right. And what it, it did is people knew that I didn't. And so therefore little problems that came up, if they, if, you know, someone stuck their head in my office and said, Hey, you got a minute. I'd say, actually, no, I'm going to go do an observation. And to the school culture, they knew, Oh, well, she's doing an observation. She never misses those. It was very important to me because I knew, and, and there's two parts to this. I knew that sometimes teachers, especially if they get anxious, they were counting on me and I wanted to follow through. Secondly, over time, they didn't get anxious because they knew I was just coming to watch, learn, listen. And so they didn't have to, I didn't want a dog and pony show. I truly just wanted to go in there and be part of their classrooms and see their strengths and highlight them and maybe offer some feedback. So, um, for me, I needed specific time windows and it helped me communicate with my staff that this is a priority for me and save a lockdown. I'll be there. So if let's say a a discipline problem came up, most discipline problems, they can wait 30 minutes, <laughs> most of them. And I know there's probably listeners out there saying, well, not all of them. And that, and that's true, but I would rely on my assistants and, and um, the secretaries would really help me keep, keep me on track. And it was just a system that worked for me. Well, I'm going to mention a resource just because, you know, Jen, that um, if there's something that's, that I have seen that's been helpful in my practice or helpful in others, then I do not mind sharing it. And I have a friend, Mark Schellinger, who is the director of what's called the SAM project. And years ago, Mark, uh, he was an administrator in Alaska. And then when he was retiring, he got a grant from the Wallace Foundation and did a lot of research on principal time management. And what he came came up against in all of his research was exactly what you and I are talking about. The hardest thing for principals to do is prioritize their instructional time, their Mm -hmm. instructional leadership time. Mm -hmm. And so he has a process that he teaches leaders and he also has software and resources. And I'll put a, a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out their website. It's some um, samprocess.com. You could go there listeners if you want to check it out. And I, um, I, uh, I did not end up pro- uh, purchasing um, Mark's content for my school, but he was kind enough to present it to me and give me the things that I knew would work for me. And so, and one of the things that Mark talks about a lot is the fact that, um, that we don't do exactly what you just said. We don't train others to, te- right. to treat us like we want to be treated. Right. 
we we train those we're leading to expect us to always be available at any moment and to put out every fire instead of training people to expect us to say, well, first of all, I've got an obligation and a commitment right now to this teacher right, and to see instruction. So let me go manage that. And then I'll come back and manage this unless it's something like a lockdown or there's mm-hmm. a threat to your school, you know, or there's a criminal activity happening. I mean, I can go through the list of right. things that, that would, would rank up there at, at the top of that. But so often we fail to train others to treat us like we want to be treated. And then we wonder why we never get to do the things that we right. really need to do as leaders to that reminds me of what I tell people all the time when I'm presenting, I say, you know, if you answer emails at 1030 at night, people know you answer emails at 1030 at night. <laughs> and so they'll email you at 1029 because they'll know you're going to get back to them. So you have to train people. And this isn't about lack of responsiveness or, um, you know, not being flexible. It's not that it's, it's just more about you have a job to do and you have to help people know that there's certain priorities that aren't going to, you're not going to waver. Well, Jen, I'm going to move on to our next question because I hope that's helpful for the listener out there because there's other things that I would like to to touch base on. Well, and, can I say one more thing? Oh, please do. And I, and I know that we might run over and have to save the other question for another episode, but this is, I just want to make an analogy about, this is about content area and expertise. I was thinking about this the other day because I, um, I've shared with listeners before, I've always been a runner. I've run since I was 12 and my body is um, not so keen on all that these days. So I went to a um, orange theory class. And if you don't know it, there's, there's a lifting component and there's a rowing component and a running component. The lifting and the rowing, I hate it. I hate it because it doesn't feel right. And I don't know how to do it. And I feel stupid. I feel like I don't know how to do it right. And then when I get on the treadmill, I feel this peace, like this is my comfort zone. But here's the thing. I can't just keep running. It's not an option. I have to learn other things. I have to force myself to be uncomfortable, to be the one who doesn't know to, you know, everybody, I think everybody's looking at me as I try and do these barbell curls, but I will learn, I will get there and I will become an expert in another thing. And so is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I can't stick with what I know because it makes, I'm, I'm not going to be as healthy. And in this case, professionally healthy, unless I force myself out of my comfort zone. So I, you know, go into science classrooms, I go into math classrooms. I ask the PE teacher, tell me what you're thinking is behind this. Tell me about music pedagogy. When I talk to a music teacher, cause I have to, if I really want to be an expert leader, I have to push myself out of those. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And, um, and I am happy to stay on this for a few more minutes because you're just making, you're, you're, you're causing me to think more deeply. And so we can save our next question for our next session. But, um, you know, Jen, I, growth doesn't happen without discomfort. Right. It doesn't. And, and, and we, we know that when it comes to student learning, but we so often forget it when it comes to our own. Right. And so I, I, I'm so glad you gave that analogy um, because you're right. There are things that all of us need to, to be exercised in doing that are going to push us outside our comfort zone. And the last person that I want to be, and this is harder as I get older, is the one that's like, nah, I just don't have time to learn that. Or right. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to learn anything else new or please don't put that on my plate. Now, there are things that you and I both know that we have to say no to if we're going to say yes to. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the ability to do things that do stretch us and push us into places of discomfort because that's where the magic happens. That's where the learning takes place. And that's where you're demonstrating and modeling a growth mindset that you want to see in others too. Um, 
So I, 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 I love that. Go ahead. And I also think about this phrase, you know, fake it till you make it. I agree with that phrase, but you have to remember the make it part. So you can bluff, you can get through not being a content area expert all the time and, and fake it. So to speak, you could write a pretty good observation, not knowing the um, content expertise that you might need to know, but don't do that for a career because you'll want to, you'll want to get to that place where you can really speak intelligently and responsibly about the instruction happening in a classroom. So fake it until you make it, but, but make it. Yeah, so let's be really practical there in 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 regards to um, not always faking it. One of those things is just being clear on appropriate learning standards as guidelines for kids. So, um, and I know every state's a little different, Jen, but but you and I've been in this work long enough that if there's a subject area and a grade level, there are going to be some learning standards that are available for what should be happening in that context. Right. And so as a leader, you can do your homework. You can, you can be aware of what the learning standards are for that grade level in the subject area. And even if you're not the expert in that content area, you can know that information right. and then ask for accountability. You exactly. know, show me where in your lesson plans that you're meeting the standard. Tell exactly. me how you're explaining that to students. Do they understand what the, what the learning goals are right. too? And so making sure that, um, that we're clear on the standards that we have for, for teachers too. Right. Exactly. Love well, it. I love it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as we wrap up, I just want to, um, we'll, we'll save some, some, the other two questions for our next session together, Jen, but, Perfect. um, but as we wrap up, I just want to remind, um, principal matters listeners that, um, there's a couple of good books out there that you could pick up if you're a new leader trying to figure things out like these. One of them is called You're the Principal Now What by Jen Twonky, <laughs> where she gives great examples of all kinds of things, including instructional leadership tips. Or you can pick up my first book, Principal Matters, The, the Courage, Action, and Teamwork Needed for, for School Leadership, because I give some examples in there too of how to chunk your time or how to create key responsibility areas for your staff. And so, you know, time management is really embedded in this question too, which is, you know, understanding, um, getting out of your comfort zone, but then understanding how to schedule that time, uh, they, they go hand in hand. And, you know, I, I wish I could sprinkle some, some dust, pixie dust on top of principles and say, just because you had an incredibly busy day and you feel like you didn't really do everything all that perfectly, it doesn't mean that you're terrible at time management, time management, um, is certainly something we all work toward, but I think a lot of principals put immense pressure on themselves to manage their time in such a way that they feel like they um, had a peaceful, quiet, manageable day. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and by the, the very nature of this work means there's going to be interruptions. There's going to be changes to your schedule. Um, so don't beat yourself up so much. Be, I hear principals say all the time, I need better time management. And my question back is, do you? Or is that the nature of the job that makes makes you feel like you're not successful at it? But but you might be doing better at it than you think you are. Well, as we wrap up, I want to give Principles Matters listeners just a quick moment for self-assessment. And Jen, this is something that I often do when I'm in a coaching group um, or a mastermind um, is as I'm wrapping up conversations with principals, it's sometimes it's just helpful to just ask yourself some reflections in your own practice. So there's right. four statements that I like to, to say out loud. And I ask 
leaders to kind of rank themselves on a scale from one to five. So out of 20, like where would you put yourself in these? And this is not so that we can beat ourselves up. This is just like, okay, snapshot on your, on your week right now or on your practice. And statement one is I have been visible with every student, every teacher, every day this past week. Now, sometimes that's impossible, but how are you doing in terms of visibility? Cause that's a really important part of staying true to your core mission. Statement right. two, I have been meditating or listening to or reading or reflecting on helpful books or lessons. Are you keeping that growth mindset going? How are you doing right. on that? Statement three is I've been making healthy choices in my sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Ooh, okay. that is just as important as my principal practice. So how are we doing there? And statement number four is I have been faithful to my loved ones with my time and attention, because mm -hmm. guess what? Your kids, your family, your partner, whoever that person is you love out there, people, they need you um, often more than your school. Right. So as we wrap up, Jen, um, I, I so appreciate this listener reaching out with that question, but it's a process and we're always growing. And if you have been a teacher and you're stepping into leadership, you know what great teaching looks like. And, right. and, and, and so give yourself permission to grow, to ask questions to look for great, um, to, to identify great teaching and great learning and to dig and to dig and, and to learn some things that maybe you didn't know before and give yourself permission to, as you evaluate your, your own reflections and practices to not beat yourself up, but to go, okay, th those, those big, those are the big pieces, the big rocks that I need to make sure I'm touching right. on consistently right. so that I'm serving people with inspiration and with focus. So Jen Schwanke, it's always <laughs> great to see you. Thanks yes. for the opportunity. And I, I've been saying this every episode we've had in the last few times together, but I'm going to say it again. If you are available to come to Edmond, Oklahoma, so February the 8th and 9th, 2023, Jen Schwanke is coming to Oklahoma with Dr. Don Parker from the Chicago area and lots of educators, Jen. Um, so you can go to... Uh, the state association that I get to partner with here in Oklahoma, which is CCOSA. You can register for that event if you live in Oklahoma as a member. And if you don't, then come on anyway, and uh, we'll, we'll bring you in. But Jen, that, that conference is filling up and we can't wait to have you here. Oh, I can't wait to come. And do you say Kakosa? Is that how it's? Nope. It's pronounced Kosa. Oh. But okay. I always okay. spell it because it's so easy. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't want to come to Oklahoma and misspeak and say something that's not accurate. So thank no. you for clarifying. COSA. That's where that's what we're doing. Okay. All right. Well, until next time. Thanks, Jen. And thanks, thank Principal you. Matters for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.